She joins us via via canoe from <laughs> Sydney and Zoom. Are, are you still afloat, Benita Mercedes? Uh, yeah, hi, George. Hi, Joss. <laughs> We're definitely afloat, but it's still raining. Oh, my goodness. Uh, and you're, you've got you've got uh, brother and sister in, in, in Brisbane who have had a really tough time as well. Yeah, brother-in-law and sister-in-law, that's right. Yeah. Wow. There's a lot of family in Queensland, but they were evacuated from their house in Brisbane. Uh, are we going to see a competition uh, in, in the New South Wales NPL this weekend based on uh, the rain forecast? Um. Well, there are a lot of synthetic pitches in New South Wales, so uh-huh. Uh-huh. depending on where the rains fall and where the, all those games are held, um, probably you'll get some games. Mm. Um, it'll be interesting to see how it goes. Now, we've seen so many things happen over the last week. Um, uh, where, do we, where do we begin the conversation? Um, you've been a part of uh, the game uh, at, the, at the very top end in this in this country, you were part of Football Federation Australia for quite some time. Uh, you know the teams, you know the players, you know the characters involved. Are we slowly making uh, incremental progress, or are we still struggling to understand that uh, governance, good corporate governance, is absolutely key to, to going to the next level in this country? Are we treading water? Yeah, good point. Good one. Gosh, now no one mentioned that you're going to ask me that question. Um, <laughs> I thought, I thought, uh, look, I, I, I thought, young... I thought from your perspective, I could yeah. throw you just about any question, and you could, you, you've got enough in the tank to, to to come back. And we've got an opportunity to talk about a number of different things. I want to talk about yeah. um, um, the, the game, short answer to the women's game, is, and, and I, on, I think, on it goes. Yeah, I think the short answer to that question are the words that Josh used. We're treading water at the moment. <laughs> Um, I, I think that, you know, to suggest uh, uh, there's a lot of positive things about the game and there's a lot of, as we always talk about, there's a lot of potential for the game. Mm. Um, but to be frank, we've been having these conversations for a couple of decades, not just a couple of years, but a couple of decades. Um, the You know, talking about the potential, talking about the participation, talking about the fact that we need to get the costs of the game lowered. Um, talking about the professionalism of the major domestic competition, the A-League, um, talking about what we do around the, a national second tier, uh, talking about how to get the women's game and more women more women involved at a higher level. More I mean, women's games. Issues, more women's games uh, yeah, too. Exa- exactly. And all of these issues have been around for so long. And, you know, you do get to the point where you think it's – uh, I mean, you, you you almost could get to the point where you think it's not really going to change that much, and and what what will it take for it to change? Well, we've had we've had uh, um, uh, Russia, uh, you know, step in and uh, do something that very few people saw coming, and that is they uh, they made sure that when they went into Ukraine, they went with uh, with force and. Uh, it's shaken the world. It's certainly shaken Europe. And I've noticed that one of the uh, the most um, amazingly compliant uh, organisations in the world, I'm talking FIFA, uh, has seen the error of its ways in the past and they've decided to uh, take a stand and they've told all the uh, Russian entities and others that you're, you're, you're not welcome in this game. What have you made of that decision? 
Uh, look, I think um, they, they took a bit long to get to that decision. Yeah, you um, will. But the fact I did that they say, come I did say it, FIFA is a very compliant organisation. They've taken a long time to get there, but they've done it. Yeah, but the, the fact that they have got to it is is something to be, um, you know, welcomed. Yeah. Um, that was the only course of action that they could take. Uh, having said that, you know, what happened as soon as they took that decision, and UEFA also took the same decision because they had to because Russia's part of UEFA. Yep. Um, you know, that immediate, when you've got a, uh, an organisation which has 211 member nations, the immediate question asked of some other nations is, well, are we going to do this every time? Mm. Um, and, of course, everybody, not everybody, but a lot of countries have, have had uh, what they would see as being similar circumstances to what Russia's done and sure. is doing in Ukraine. Sure, sure. Sure. The Western world went into um, uh, um, Iraq at a time when there were a lot of questions that still needed to be answered, uh, and we didn't see the the sort of uh, penalties meted out by FIFA and others. So you're right. You're right. There is enormous inconsistency, but um, uh, we, we've seen uh, Roman Abramovich, who I suppose started the 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 uh, Abramovich or the Roman Revolution, they say at Chelsea, uh, come out the other day and say. He was going to hand the stewardship of his club to uh, a group of uh, charity organisations that he has uh, great faith in. And I thought to myself, first time I've heard the word stewardship used quite like that. Um, Were you amazed by that decision from Abramovich or, or was it just smart optics? Well, there's there's two aspects to that. Um, First of all, it was was smart optics. Oh, I don't even think it was smart optics. <laughs> it was just some window dressing to yep. begin with. Yep. Um, but he's since changed that decision and said that he's going to sell the club uh-huh. and he's going to donate the proceeds of that to those who are fighting in Ukraine. Now, they're also very interesting words um, because at first glance you think, oh, he's doing something good, he's going to help the people of Ukraine. But it's in fact the words where he's helping the peop- people fighting in Ukraine, he doesn't actually say who he's going to help. It could be the Russian side, it could be the Belarusians, or it could could, could be the Ukrainians. Um, and the other thing is, you know, he's, he's a man who's worth about £14 billion, um, pounds, I think it's pounds. It is, it is um, pound or he's euro, selling yeah, the club yeah. for about one and a half. So it's a relatively... <laughs> It doesn't. It sounds like an enormous amount of an unimaginable amount of money to most of us, but um, it's not huge on on the scale that he's operating in. And a lot of people like Roman Abramovich and other oligarchs in Russia have been getting richer and richer, while a lot of the rest of the world has struggled, especially over the past two years. Correct, Benita. I also found the. Vagaries in the statement, uh, net proceeds as well was 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 the was the phrase used, not proceeds. So this this it's only going to be the profit he makes over what he spent in the club in the first place, and I don't know whether that's also subtracting all the money that he's loaned Chelsea recently or all the money that he's pumped into the club because I don't think one and a half billion is barely going to cover it if that's the correct. case. Correct. I think that's right. And the other aspect of all of this with uh, with people like Abramovich and other oligarchs is most of them have a number of different citizenships. So, for example, while he's Russian, he also has Israeli citizenship and Portuguese citizenship. So I don't think anyone's really asked the question about what uh, Israel and Portugal are doing about that, for example. Um, because, it, you know, I mean, we're getting into non-football things here, but if you're going to really put pressure on mm. 
the oligarchs in in the hope of getting to Putin. That would be another another logical thing to look at. Benita, I also want to go back to the FIFA thing and and talk about. I guess the way that Russia actually used FIFA and has already almost extracted what they need from FIFA in terms of uh, prestige and sports washing during the during the World Cup. I mean, it, it puts uh, Infantino in a very compromised position now because there are just so many photos of him with Putin. They've spent so much time together. More than, it's more than photos, it's video. And I, I think back to the, the opening game of the 2018 World Cup where it's Infantino sat between the two... Uh, leaders of the, the two countries playing against each other, which was Putin on one side and um, and the Crown Prince of Saudi Arabia on the other, and you know trying to placate both of them as a Russian goal went in after Russian goal. <laughs> I mean, FIFA's got a history of cozying up, cozying up to these types of dictators, and and Infantino chief amongst uh, those who've who've been guilty of it. Oh, look, it started way before Infantino. Mm. Um, it started with the fact of the bidding process for the 2018 and 2022 World Cups. And let's not forget that Australia is not exactly blameless in that. We we tried very, very hard to do a deal with Russia. Um, and in fact, they just diddled us in the end. But um, we tried hard and we knew what they were like. So those may, who made the decision to award the 2018 World Cup in the first place to Russia are uh, amongst those who must you know, first have blame shot at them. Um, and, you know, unfortunately, one of the downsides of having an international organisation like FIFA, and, I'm, and, and this is part of the criticism that I have been making for years, is that no attempt has ever been made to bring other nations up to the highest possible standard. It's been about playing at the lowest possible standard. And there is no doubt, in my opinion, that... Um, the Russian bid, which won that contest in one vote, one vote amongst four different bidders, um, did so in a corrupt manner. Um, there, in some ways, the highlights—it's never been the spotlight's never really been on them because Qatar won also, and everybody thought that was so shocking. And sure, there we know there are issues around the, the, that as well, but. Um, you know, Russia engaged in the same sort of behaviour and the same sort of activity as most of the bidders in that contest. And that's where it started. Infantino came in as president in 2016. He was faced with having a World Cup in Russia. And yes, you're right. He did what all FIFA presidents have done um, since, since Havelange. And he there's bowed. only been the three of them. And they've, co- they've cozied up to dictators. There's a history of it. FIFA has a history of it. And we've got the Qatar World Cup only months away now. Yes, November it starts. So you can imagine we've got that, and then the next World Cup is the uh, the the, tri, the the tripartite agreement between uh, the United States, Canada, and Mexico. So it, it's getting well. Interesting. No, George, the next World Cup after the twenty twenty two one is in Australia and New Zealand, isn't it? <laughs> Very good. Sorry. <laughs> Very good pickup. Wow, that was yeah. that was nifty. Benita, very good. But Benita, got me right where it does, uh, does it, right between the eyes. You got me, uh, Benita. I, I want to ask you your opinion, and I don't know if there is a right answer to this uh, about you know banning Russia from from participation in FIFA. I think it's been pretty unanimous approval of that decision amongst at least the Western world. 
uh, and you can understand the logic of it. You know, you can, the Russian anthem playing, the Russian flag flying is... It's, is it's, inex- pro- it's propaganda. Yeah, exactly. But uh, now UEFA have banned Russian clubs from participating in European competitions. And, you know, some, one could argue that Spartak Moscow, for example, aren't representing Russia. They're representing... You know, Spartak. Yep. And then uh, there's the case of individual Russian athletes, uh, not only in football, but in sport worldwide. You know, we've got a Australian Open player, champion, Medvedev, players. who's now having his participation question. I, I do wonder where, where we draw the line at, at, you know, targeting teams and targeting individuals. Uh, individuals. Uh, I think anybody who suggests that sport and politics don't mix is living in <laughs> La La fantasy land. land. <laughs> yeah, they, absolutely. They, ab- they absolutely do mix. And let's be clear, um, under the direction of Vladimir Putin, they have invaded a country for no reason other than the fact that he is trying to recreate the old Soviet Union and mm. he wants that, that land. You know, yeah. From a world perspective, sport has its part to play in putting as maximum pressure on having that decision reversed. Otherwise, the consequences are catastrophic, not just for Europe, but also for the world, because it will go around the rest of the world as well. So I think anything that puts pressure back on ordinary Russians and Russia and allows ordinary Russians to get the decision through to them, that or get the news through to them that what is actually happening, I think, helps. And, the, you know, the, the athletes who are Russians and the Russian teams... Um, they have a role and responsibility in all of this as well, in in making sure that or in, in helping to explain to their people what exactly is happening. Look, it's it's been a, an absolutely whirlwind last couple of weeks and uh, there are so many things that we've had to address uh, and we've seen, as you touched, uh, we saw uh, UEFA, we saw FIFA come out and make some uh, interesting comments early on and everyone kept saying, there's not enough pressure. You've got to do more, got to do more. And sure enough, it's now been the case where we've seen Russia b- virtually told, you're not going to the World Cup. Yeah? And that was something I didn't imagine I would hear two weeks ago. So that now we know that unless something quite dramatic happens, I, I put it to you that we will not see, come November, Russia, whether it qualifies or not, in Qatar. And we may also, if things get worse, we, I, I dare say we'll make sure that there won't be a Russian team at the Women's World Cup uh, next year. Yeah, and st- if things get worse, that's, that's correct, um, which is, you know, let's hope it doesn't actually yeah, get correct. to the point where that decision has to be made. But at the moment, Russia in, in the women's competition, they're sitting second in their group, I think. Um, and that puts them in a qualifying position because the way it works from UEFA is the the top teams automatically qualify and then there's a playoff for the, the next lot amongst the second teams. But, of course, they won't be play. I presume they won't be playing now. If UEFA's banned them and mm. if FIFA's banned them, but um, they won't be playing in the qualifying phase. Let's see. Benita, last one from me, and this is just me reflecting, I guess, on, on how the, we came to this decision, that was through the boycotts of, of Poland and, and Sweden and the Czech Republic. You said they wouldn't play their, their qualifying playoff matches if they have to face Russia, uh, Poland first and foremost, because they were drawn against them in that, in that sort of semi-final. Uh, but it sort of makes you realise the power of boycotts when it comes to this type of thing. Is, has world football missed the boat on, on boycotting Qatar? Because you know, mm. it could have really changed the, uh, the trajectory of, of what, what's happened there if, if you know, a decade ago countries had stepped up to the plate. 
I think the issues around Qatar um, are quite complex and it's mm. not as easy to answer in just sort of a very quick response. Um, basically, when it when push comes to shove, mm. despite um, all of the inquiries to date, um, there hasn't been any proof of anything untoward in relation to the Qatar World Cup. And the pressure that was put on around human rights and workers' rights and all of that that started in 2010, 2011, um, basically when there wasn't the change in relation to that decision by, say, 2016, it was always going to be the case that the Qatar World Cup would would proceed mm. because of the uh, obligations and the, the legal commitments that were wrapped up in all, all of that and in, and in terms of the timing. Um, I think... You know, one of the good things that FIFA has done um, in recent years is they've introduced a human rights policy. Um, you talk to experts around that and they'll say, well, but they're not actually doing anything much about their human rights policy, but at least they have one. Beforehand, they didn't even have one. Um, but I do think there's a lot of people in football and around sport who could have helped put pressure on on FIFA and other de- and decision makers mm. before the decision was made. You know, the only time I've ever seen um, uh, protests of, of, of this calibre um, uh, actually work were the uh, anti-apartheid demonstrations and the protests uh, when South Africa was right in the middle of its, uh, 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 I suppose, uh, golden time when it really was a very tough uh, uh, a country. It had very clear laws. It was definitely black and white. And uh, if if you didn't fit in either, there was a, there was a real complication. And we saw those massive protests eventually um, bear fruit because we did see the arrival of Mandela. We saw the arrival of uh, the then reigning government saying, "Our time has come, and we're going to step down." That was almost unbelievable when it happened. So again, here we are. Things can happen, but there's got to be a will, hasn't there? Always a will. Yeah, there always has always has to be a will, and there has to be, you know, you hear criticism, for example, of people such as Craig Foster because he is out and about advocating mm. on human rights issues. But frankly, someone has to do that. Correct. Um, it's like you know. Ten years ago, I was advocating almost alone in the world, and particularly alone in Australia, about the need for governance change at FIFA. I was the first one who actually put those words together around the world. And um, but someone has to do it. Do you make enemies at this at that time? Yes, you do. Yeah. Um, but is it worthwhile when change happens? Yes, it is. And so, you know, those those who sit back on their sofas and criticise people who dare to, to raise questions or raise an issue or advocate for something better or advocate for change, they're not even worth listening to, frankly. And I'd give me a give me a million Craig Foster. <laughs> You've actually got Craig uh, at a at a fair play publishing a weekend, haven't you? It's a big event coming up in the next few weeks? Yeah, it's broader than Fair Play Publishing. It's the Football Writers Festival. Ah, it's an opportunity ah, okay. for writers, authors, readers, thinkers, dreamers to get together. And, um, you know, the way Writers Festivals works are, you know, they we gather around books and things that have been written and talk about some of the the big and small issues in the sport. Chew so the it's a great program and chew, Craig chew, is one of the speakers. Chew, chew the fat, talking about the, the yes. game that we love. Um, when When is it on? 
Uh, it's March the 25th to the 27th at Jamboree. Um, that Jamboree is the, I guess, the spiritual home of, of Johnny Warren. There's a Johnny Warren yeah, football yeah. Uh, museum. Um, it's a it's a room full of Johnny Warren memorabilia, and um, you know we've got uh, some greats of the game coming along, as well as people such as well, Craig's also a great of the game, isn't he? But yes. we've we've got people such as um, Cozzy and Gary Cole. Yeah. Um, uh, we've got Professor John Maynard, who's written several books, including about football, and he's currently writing another one. Uh, we've got Dr. Hunter Fujak, who yes, wrote a terrific book on Code yeah. Wars. Yeah, yeah. Um, so Very there's a good. whole whole range of issues being discussed and, uh, and uh, a, a great program ahead. I was just going to say, uh, Gary Cole, for me, has is a remarkable story. He's, he's someone who came into this country as a young man. Uh, his father and the whole family came... Uh, from one end of the world to the other, and he, he's grown. He he brought his game. He he matured his game and kept kept in the game, coached, and of course then reinvented himself as an administrator and as someone who dearly dearly loves the game. And we're now seeing him helping the coaches go to the next level. So uh, it's going to be interesting to to get down there. Twenty fifth to the twenty seventh um, of March at Jamboree. That's correct. And can I just add one point to that, George? And, and that is, I, I think the more former players, you know, um, they're very similar to Gary in that they, a lot of them want to be involved in helping others. And, you know, one other person that I should have mentioned who will be there and who, who's written probably one of the best sporting autobiographies I've ever read, and that's Andy Bernal um, with Riding Shotgun. You know, and Andy desperately wants to help people in the game and desperately wants to help people in Canberra, for example, which is his hometown. Um, and I think, you know, people like that who have so much experience, um, both on the field and off the field, and have so much to offer, um, we, we should be taking advantage of, of all of them. Touche. Andrew Bernal's story alone. Uh, we've had him on air. And uh, look, it's hard to believe some of the stories. They're just so, they're so magnificent. So colourful, and uh, yeah. what a time! Yeah. What a time to be where he was, uh, with the people and the and the opportunities that that came his way. Great book, well done. And there's going to be some great stories coming out of that. Uh, Benita, thank you so much for joining us and talking about some of the uh, the big issues in in world football. And we uh, look forward to the Football Writers Festival. That's a pleasure. Thanks, Josh. Thanks, George. No worries at all. Benita Messiati is joining us on State of Our Football Nation. Uh, Jason Pine. Tony Tannis and Benita Mercedes. Uh, a busy program. Thanks very much for joining us. Busy indeed, George. Uh, if you missed any of that, you can catch up on the podcast platforms. But we've got a uh, we've got a live broadcast coming up this weekend. Uh, tell me about it. So Fitzroy City have got us to uh, come down and do their FFA Cup match or Australia Cup. Oh, as I was just going to say, when do we actually move it on to Australia Cup? It's, it's, it's now year. official, isn't it? It's it's official, Australia Cup, even uh, if some of the uh, the websites need changing <laughs> still, I, I, I notice. Uh, but I'm very much looking forward to calling that one alongside Damir Kulash um, at Kevin Bartlett Reserve on Saturday. It's a 5 p.m. kickoff. And the women are playing straight afterwards in the Nike FC Cup as well. Uh, so, uh, yeah, you, looking forward can, to that. Have you got enough time this weekend? You've got a huge affair coming up at Lakeside tomorrow night. It's it's almost yesteryear being given this huge uh, recast uh, at Lakeside. It's South Melbourne, the home side, up against the Melbourne Knights. <laughs> Oh, man, it is back to the future, isn't it? Yes, indeed. I, I think this is a special year for this game, 
particularly just with the national second division on the horizon. Uh, those clubs have both recruited really well. Um, Melbourne Knights had a bit of a reality brick to the face uh, last Friday against Avondale where they, they lost 3-0, even if they had a man advantage for about an hour. So I'm sure there will be big changes to their, their selection coming into this one, whereas South Melbourne have started the season perfectly, two wins from two, um, and uh, they've knocked off two good sides in Heidelberg and Bentley. Just before I leave you, uh, can you very quickly, from what you've seen already, the top three who who are likely to finish at the very top end of the competition? Let's see how good a judge you are, and we'll Gee. and we'll pull this up at the end of the year. I think I think Avondale will be up there again. Still, still so good. And they had five players out, and they still beat the Knights three 0 So it just shows you the depth Ouch. and quality of, okay. their, of their team. So Avondale, I think Green Gully look good. I'm not sure if they'll be top three, but I really like the look of their recruitment this okay. season. They've signed Noel Bernarda, um, okay. who's who starred for Dandy Thunder and um, and Hume City and had trials in, at various A-League clubs, the Argentinian. Uh, he looks great, and they've brought a couple of uh, A-League or ex-A-League prospects in uh, in Josh Hope, who's returning to football, which is great to see, and uh, Gianluca Iannucci, uh, who was at City and, and then Victory. Um, they, they look terrific. I don't, I don't know if they'll be top Top three good, but they're they're up there. And I, so Avondale, I, Green Gully, and I actually think South Melbourne look pretty good. Ooh. You know they're still they're still playing a few too many long balls to Harrison Sawyer, who's their towering target man. Well, we if you've got a Chris... towering target man, what do you think you're going to do? Well, I Play think I think that the temptation is too strong to lump it okay. to Harry Sawyer's head. I hear, I hear. This season they've got more. Uh, attacking players around him so that when he wins a flick on or a knockdown, it actually falls to somebody. So it's a sound enough strategy, but I think they need to add another couple of strings to their bow just in terms of the variety of that because if Sawyer gets injured, suddenly the whole game plan falls apart if that's what you're relying on. You but at the moment, it's working. Call. You just make a phone call, Josh Kennedy, out of retirement. <laughs> well, he's working for Football Victoria now, <laughs> yeah, so he's yeah. down the road. Well, I was going to say... Uh, I'll hold you to that. We'll see how it goes. Uh, Josh Parrish joining us as he does each and every Thursday on State of Our Football Nation here on FNR. You're listening to the State of Our Football Nation on FNR.